The Rural Health Voice, Episode 41, Overdose. Welcome to The Rural Health Voice. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. What has been the impact of COVID for persons with substance use disorders? Mike Wade, Coordinator of Community Wellness and Outreach at New River Valley Community Services, joined me to discuss the spike in overdoses and what can be done going forward. Well, welcome, Mike. Hey, Beth. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you here. Now, you are the Coordinator of Community Wellness and Outreach with New River Valley Community Services. What what does that coordinator do? What do you do on a day-to-day basis? Well, it uh, is sort of a blend of our um, community relations efforts, our public information um, activities, um, awareness, education, social media stuff, all those things that we've done for years. But um, within the last year, we've combined that with um, our prevention services unit. Uh, and so it's a blend of, um, you know, the, the tradi- traditional stuff that we've done with um, prevention around substance use disorders, mental health awareness, and just combining that with our, uh, our PR and outreach. So it covers a lot, but it's really about just getting good information out there and connecting people with resources. All right. Well, speaking of resources, you know, we've had some conversation lately about drug overdoses. Um, you know, in April, the Rural Health Voice recorded an episode about behavioral health. And at that time, it looked like there was not an increase in drug overdoses that really lined up with COVID, but that seems to have shifted, hasn't it? It really has. In fact, uh, I guess it was about two weeks ago now, the CDC released some new data from 2019 that showed um, after uh, leveling off some the previous year, uh, there had been a pretty significant uptick in overdose deaths. to where I think there were right under 72,000 fatalities related to opioid overdose deaths. Wow. So what is NRVCS doing to address substance use disorders? Well, in addition to providing services and treatment and supports for folks who are struggling with substance use disorders, um, we're trying to address it from the perspective of education, awareness, Um, promoting harm reduction. We're trying to make uh, Narcan, the nasal spray form of naloxone, the overdose reversal medication, um, available to any interested community member uh, at no cost. And uh, we're providing a, uh, we just recently recorded a brief um, abbreviated video training for how to administer Narcan. And you can find that on our website at nrvcs.org slash revive. And on that same page, anyone in the community uh, in the New River Valley who uh, is interested in receiving their own supply of Narcan, they can reach out to us, um, get in touch with us, and we'll make arrangements to get that to them. Great. And we'll make sure we include a link to all that information in the show notes. Is this unique to New River Community Services, or do other CSBs across the state have similar services? Yeah, most of the uh, community services boards in Virginia, and there are 40 of those, um, have prevention services within their uh, scope of um, programs. And 
most of them are promoting uh, the use of Narcan and making that available. We're lucky to have a partnership with um, the Virginia Department of Health to provide us with the supplies of Narcan. Uh, and then it's just a matter of us, you know, reaching out to people in the community to make sure that they have that if they need it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, there's some pushback around Narcan. Um, I've been in conversations where there's been some resistance to making that widely available because there are some people who quite honestly feel like it's uh, being used as a bit of a crutch and giving people who struggle with opioids the opportunity to test their limits as far as um, their personal tolerance goes and pushing themselves to the brink of basically death and then using Narcan to bring themselves back and, you know, do the same thing all over again. Uh, once they're in a position to do so. But as I say time and time again, if that's what it takes to keep people alive, so maybe we can eventually get them into treatment and get them help for their um, addiction issues, then we have to err on the side of doing that. Sure. And, you know, looking at the areas in Virginia that actually saw a decline in drug overdoses last year in 2019, there was a significant drop in Roanoke County. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, some of that can certainly be attributed to the work of the Virginia Harm Reduction Coalition. Um, the coalition is, is a big supporter of assuring that drug users, not bystanders, not people in the public, public, but actual drug users have access to naloxone, which is, of course, the generic equivalent of, of Narcan. And they handed out 15,000 doses last year. And as a result, Roanoke County saw a significant shift. Um, you, I, I certainly heard that, that using naloxone, sharing naloxone, encouraging people who have substance use disorders have access to naloxone is just another, you know, you said crutch, I think enabling is, is terms that we've thrown around mm-hmm. over the years. But realistically, if someone's not at the point where they're ready to receive help, you know, you either give them naloxone or they die. I mean, that, yeah. that's a very, very bald truth is those are your two options if that person isn't ready to get that level of help that they need to get into treatment and recovery. Well, and you, you said it so well. I mean, you can't get someone into, to get help if they're dead. I mean, exactly. It, it's, it's really that simple. And, you know, as much as I can, I try to uh, draw comparisons to any other um, chronic disease or health issue. Um, this doesn't need to be any different from heart disease, diabetes, any of those other um, chronic conditions that we try to mitigate the complications that stem from those problems and try to get people the help they need. For example, someone with diabetes, we try to get them insulin and help them watch their diets, what they eat to be more active. Uh, And harm reduction when it comes to substance use disorders to me is no different. Now, looking at the the current situation with the spike in overdoses, I was looking at a, a New York Times article that said when COVID first hit and people were asked to stay at home, it was a little bit of relief for some people in recovery. The, the shutdown orders gave them a chance to have some quiet time away from some of their normal triggers. Mm-hmm. But the longer the shutdowns lasted, the harder it was for people to be in isolation. What's your take on that? Well, it's absolutely um, 
a concern. Um, with the pandemic, I mean, it's been such a such an overwhelming thing for really all of us you know, on some level. Um, but for folks who struggle with addiction and are in recovery, um, being connected to peers, being connected to services and resources to help them maintain their recovery is vitally important. But if you're under a stay-at-home order or you can't leave your home and feel safe about that, that complicates things. The social, social isolation that comes with the pandemic is incredibly difficult. Um, and then again, a lot of our, our folks in recovery are struggling with, um, you know, added stressors now, financial worries. What are we going to do with our kids? Um, you know, is my job in jeopardy? All those things that, that compound and, and make things worse for them uh, at the same time that they can't connect with their typical network of resources and peers. So it's, it's an incredibly challenging time for anyone. Uh, especially those who are struggling with addiction and are in recovery. Hmm. Now, you talked about some resources that are available on your website. What tools do people need to help to control their substance use during the pandemic? They need to reach out. They need to get connected with their um, support groups, with their peers, uh, the positive systems of support that they've had in the past prior to COVID-19. Uh, they're still out there. They still exist. They might be in a different platform. Uh, they might look a little different now because of what we're uh, currently dealing with with COVID. But, um, you know, I, I know for a fact that our peer recovery center um, in the New River Valley, rather than having person-to-person, face-to-face interaction, they're doing a lot of stuff using Zoom these days and, and still trying to give folks who uh, are interested and need that level of support a chance to connect to talk about what's what's bothering them, what's on their minds, what what their concerns are, their challenges are, and then hopefully connect them with the resources and the help that they need to stay healthy. Sure. Yeah, I was talking to uh, somebody in a similar field as you. She was saying that one of the things that's been sort of a bonus with the pandemic is with a lot of these support groups moving online is people can go to any group anywhere, anytime. They don't have to wait for the group that opens up once they get off work. They don't have to wait, you know, until the the church down the street has their program. There can be a program on different side of the state, on a different side of the country. All they need to figure out is to do is how to log in. Yeah, it it really has been um, a great, I I know it's been forced on us in some respects, but um, for the providers and the support organizations that have adapted to the changing climate and we're providing things like Zoom supports and even telehealth services um, have been huge. We have uh, in the New River Valley seen a tremendous uh, response to telehealth. We had concerns early on when the pandemic first hit and we had to go to that uh, platform that it might be a barrier and a challenge for a lot of people. But what we found is actually just the opposite. Uh, a lot of the folks that we work with and interact on a regular basis uh, have really flourished as a result of having access to that technology and not having to deal with the, as I call it, the albatross that has hung over the New River Valley and this part of the country for so many years, the issue of transportation. So many of the people that we work with um, 
low income, no income, uh, very limited means, and most of them struggle uh, with, with issue, issues like transportation. And so what we've seen now is a dramatic drop in our no-show rates. And we actually have people that are keeping their appointments and complying with services. Right. You know, and, and the Virginia Rural Health Association has been a big advocate for broadband expansion. Mm -hmm. And I would think there's probably many more people that don't have access to a reliable vehicle than there are people who don't have any access to the internet at all. Most people have, you know, at least a cell phone that gets service someplace. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, that's, that's been the one thing that I, I suppose has been a, been a benefit of having that mobile technology is that pretty much regardless of income, a person has a smartphone with some connectivity. And like you said, they can go somewhere and get connected to help, even if it's not in their own home. Absolutely. So, you know, the Virginia Rural Health Association, like many of our partners across the state, across the nation, have worked really hard to address the opioid crisis. You know, we've put in several programs. We've pulled down over a million dollars in federal grant funds over the last few years. And that's a just a tiny portion of what's been spent throughout the region. Why aren't we seeing a bigger impact? That's a great question. <laughs> um, you know, I think um, it kind of goes back to what you said earlier with people having to be at the point that they're willing to seek help. Um, the addiction issues that we we see and, and interact with on a regular basis. I mean, they're they're extremely uh, difficult to overcome. Um, the um, prevalence of methamphetamine in our communities. Um, there's no real sound proven treatment for meth addiction at this point. And what we hear more and more in our communities is that you know the days of Prescription pain, uh, prescription pain medication being the issue. Um, those days are past us now. It's really about uh, methamphetamine. And in some cases, those um, substances are being mixed with, unfortunately, synthetic, synthetic opioids like fentanyl, um, which is highly potent and incredibly dangerous. Uh, and I think that's been part of the reason that we've seen an uptick in those overdose fatalities in our communities since the first of the year is that there there does appear to be um, a significant presence of fentanyl being mixed in with some of those other substances like methamphetamine that that so many of our uh, neighbors and friends are are struggling with addiction to. Now something that we know is that Senator Tim Kaine is preparing to propose some legislation related to the health of pregnant mom and infants. Mm -hmm. Are there issues related to substance abuse that we need to be particularly aware of with that group? Um, absolutely. Neonatal abstinence syndrome, um, where um, babies, newborns are impacted by their uh, mother's addiction issues. Um, that's still a huge issue in our communities. Um, Pulaski County, the five jurisdictions that we serve, um, has the highest rate of that particular issue. Uh, it is a significant problem. 
Um, and so I hope that anything that we look at from a policy or um, legislative standpoint would be geared toward providing additional resources for moms who are struggling with addiction. Um, the long-term implications of uh, a pregnant mother using substances obviously uh, is incredibly detrimental to that, that unborn child. And so um, we need to do all that we can to make sure that women in that position uh, are getting the help that they need to, to enter recovery and have the best chance of a healthy, a healthy baby. And I think that's back to similar to naloxone. That isn't necessarily to be considered an enabling behavior. That's something that we do to make sure people get the help that they need so mm -hmm. that they're ready when they can get space for more help. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's a problem that whether it directs us, uh, whether it impacts us directly or indirectly, it is something that we all um, are. Um, going to see ramifications from um, a, a newborn child being born to a mother who um, has addiction issues, the, the medical costs associated with that alone, to have that child treated in a, in a neonatal intensive care unit for weeks, months, or whatever the case may be. I mean, that, that impacts us all when it comes to health insurance premiums. I mean, it, it's a really um, broad problem there are no easy answers to it, but we have to look at this issue from the aspect of it being a community problem, a societal problem, but not necessarily a moral failing or just flawed people who aren't worth our time, attention, and care. And of course, one of the things that we know about the fallout of the opiate crisis in the region is our foster care system is completely overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's another one of those issues that um, you don't necessarily make the direct connection to when you think about addiction and substance use disorders, but that's one of the ripple effects that, that our, our society, our network of providers, people who care about our communities, we all have to deal with and we all have to take ownership of in order to find solutions. Part of what concerns many people about the current spike in overdoses is that in 2019, that was the first year in a long time when many areas finally saw a decrease in drug use. You know, Kentucky had just celebrated its first year of decreasing overdose deaths. Uh, we mentioned earlier that Roanoke County saw a big decrease in, or in big decrease in overdose fatalities. What needs to be done to make sure we start making progress again? I don't want to sound like a broken record, but it really does go back to what I said earlier. This is a community issue. Um, all sectors of our community need to be concerned about this problem. This isn't us versus them. These aren't people that can be discounted um, because of their situation, their predicament, their disease, if we're being quite honest. Uh, and so whether it's faith-based leaders, government officials, uh, service agencies, neighbors, we all need to take ownership of this problem and, and give people who are struggling with addiction the, the same level of compassion that we would give someone who's battling cancer. Why do we look at that any differently? 
Yep. I, I once uh, heard someone say that the difference between having substance use disorder and having cancer is that if you have cancer, people show up with a casserole. And if you have substance use disorder, they show up with judgment. Yep. Just that's, exactly. That's on point. Yeah. Honestly. So, you know, once people are in the space where they can think about treatment and going into recovery, recovery, as we know, is a, a long-term mm-hmm. situation. I know that Ballot Health has a number to call that will connect people to peer recovery specialists. What other are other things people can do if they're struggling to stay drug-free? Um, are you speaking about... New River Valley specifically, or just in general? Either one. Um, I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, Beth, with um, people who are struggling and, and, and really having a hard time to go back to their networks of support, those positive influences, the resources that they know can get them connected to the help uh, and the support that they need to maintain their recovery. Um, it really, I think, boils down to us being um, products of the people that we associate ourselves with. And so if you're struggling, you know, it, it might be easy to slip back into those behaviors and hang out with those people that, may, that maybe at one point in the past were a part of your life and, and maybe where the addiction issues were um, a problem. But to, to look back at the positive side of, of your recovery and also think about all the great people in your life that have helped you get to the point that you are, to lean back on those folks and make sure that you're reconnecting with them and that you um, own the fact that you might need help. And, you know, I think, I think one of the things about um, addiction and recovery that people are quick to judge and maybe uh, make issue of is that Addiction is very relapse prone. It's very rare that someone goes through treatment and doesn't have some kind of setback and relapse on some level. It's the nature of the disease that that we're dealing with. And so I think having more understanding and more compassion for folks when they do um, have those periods of struggle and they maybe do relapse and to give them grace and understanding and, and compassion and help them get back up on their feet and, and get back on track. That, that to me is one big way that we as a community and as a, as a society can, can wrap our arms around those folks and really help them continue their journey of recovery rather than falling back into the throes of addiction. And, you know, maybe going in the opposite direction and eventually, you know, overdose or whatever the case may be. Now, one last question for you. If you could do anything, what would you do to improve health and health care in rural America? You know, I think I would uh, eradicate stigma around substance use and mental health disorders and be able to look at those issues no differently than the other chronic diseases that we've already talked about today. Um, Cancer, heart disease, diabetes. Mental illness and addiction shouldn't be looked at or viewed any differently. So if I had a magic wand, I would completely eradicate the stigma around those two issues. Terrific. Thank you so much for joining me today, Mike. Thank you, Beth. My pleasure. That's Mike Wade advocating to address stigma around substance use disorder and mental health. 
If you want to be part of the conversation about rural health, make sure you follow VRHJ on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Rural Health Voice is the podcast of the Virginia Rural Health Association. It is sponsored by the Virginia State Office of Rural Health and underwritten by the National Rural Health Association. 